My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. What happened to me? Did I lose my talent? Am I ever going to be good again? Well, I am happy with the cat that I've chosen. I never was omnipresent. Turns out, I don't have all the time in the world. (laughs) Who knew? Life is busy, has been very busy lately, and yet I remain unsurprisingly limited, mortal, finite, human. How can this be? The laws of time and space will not bend for me? What? Why am I telling you this? Because this is the new season of Never Was, and we are making some changes around here. Knocking out a few walls. I'm going to try and aim this baby a little higher. I mentioned this briefly on 27 or 28. I don't remember. But now you're listening to it. A slightly raw, largely unedited, and mostly kind of live show. Look, I'm not, I'm not going to make body noises on the air, okay? If I move my chair, and you don't know that I moved my chair, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And, and besides, I'm not an improv hall of famer. Okay. I got to have notes. And, and sometimes, sometimes I have notes way in advance. I got to write my thoughts down or else I'll forget them. Sometimes I have a thought. And, and when that happens, I, I, I get the opportunity to write it down. And that, that would allow me to sort of step back and look at things a little differently. You know, maybe, maybe not uh, say so much stupid shit. <laughs> Maybe not do dumb things like debates. More on that later. We're going to call this the less neurotic version, okay, of never was. Look, this is the thing. Given the opportunity, I would nitpick every single word of every single recording I've ever made. Music, podcasts, basically anything on the record. I've made enough egregious errors in my career. I, I, I'm trying to help and, and avoid making those again, okay? Anyway. I'm putting this new thing into action and I'm slightly terrified, so please bear with me. Why? Well, time, lack of control, nakedness, the usual. What will the format be? What will be the theme of these podcastrophes? Pretty simple, really. Current events, maybe a story or two, but mostly, and most importantly, your letters. You. I said it way back in the day, I'm still saying it now. I want a show that is interactive and involved with the people who listen to it. You know, a couple of them notes are going to get into the show today, by the way. Look, it's going to be a mess. Seat of the pants, hair on fire, no comfy velvet ropes, a catastrophe, a podcastrophe. See, get it? See what I did there? A show that is full of the elusive conversation I've always been seeking with this thing. I'm trying to limit myself to these hour-ish rants. One a week, while simultaneously maintaining the more elaborate produced shows with all the bells, whistles, and special guests I can squeeze in. Why are you doing this, you idiot? Don't you have no time already? Isn't that what you've been crying about? Well, ironically, this will give me more time because there's nothing that derails me more than feeling like there's some kind of spirit gym teacher leaning over my shoulder with a stopwatch timing me as I attempt to bear my soul, you know? So there it is. Here it is. We are doing this. Everyone is interesting. The website says it. I believe it. I want you to prove it. Everyone is interesting, and that includes you. As it turns out, this show is about giving you the opportunity to show people that. So let's chat, shall we? But first... This episode is brought to you by illustrative juggernaut and all-around hustle boss, Bump Galetta. You know those generic, awkward, long-day-at-the-amusement-park illustrations you have of your family or of your kids? You know, the ones that sort of look like your kid, but also like some other kid and that kid is melting? You do. I do. We all do. We know these illustrations. Some of us have them hanging in our house right now. Here's a new flash. Those illustrations suck balls and we should all stop buying them. (laughs) Instead, why not go visit my buddy, Bump, at his website, bumpgaletta.com. Two L's, 
two Ts. Original, minimalist, lovely. You could even say whimsical pen and ink illustrations. What's that? You're too much of a club-wielding hunter-killer to appreciate that sort of thing? Well, let me remind you, Thor, there's a certain Hallmark-sponsored holiday coming up. Just saying. While we may or may not support such a thing, there's always that moment, right? That question as you fall asleep. The knife in the dark that sounds something like, wait, should I have done something? Yeah, you know the knife. I'm on bumpgaletta.com right now, and this stuff warms even my cold, black heart and bones. I get the knife in the dark too, you know? So, now that we're on the same page, you should know that unlike the shady dude at the park with an easel and somehow the same illustration examples as every other shady dude in the park, Bump is available to you right now. You can just go to his website, browse through the gallery, and see if anything tickles your fancy. Come on, you're fancy. And who doesn't love a tickle fight? Hit him up. Bump's available for original personal commissions. Uh, commissions, commercial illustration, portraits, even live sessions. I've watched him illustrate live during a couple rock shows. I mean, he could be at your rock show. Or your store opening. Or your child's bris. Just kidding. Do not invite Josh to live illustrate your child's bris, please. That would be very, very uncomfortable. And of course, the requisite prints of his existing work are available on the store as well. That's at bumpgaletta.com under the store link. And believe it or not, he's also incredibly easy to get a hold of. You can reach out to him at bumpgaletta on Twitter and on Instagram, or just email him at bump at bumpgaletta.com. Start a conversation. Get you something cool for your house, your shop, your hidden lair on an uncharted island, whatever your need might be. Get you some. All right, let the podcastrophe begin. Here's a story about Samantha, Star Wars, and narcissism. I have a black and white banded California king snake. Her name is Samantha. I've had her for at least two decades. Uh, I'm not sure quite how long. She eats like once a month and it's kind of a big deal. Okay, It's a big deal because it means I have to drive to the pet store to pick up her food. She eats mice, and I'm just not ever going to be the guy with a house full of mice trying to save a couple bucks. (laughs) Now, this problem doesn't seem like that big of a deal to you, right? Drive to the pet store, pick up a few unfortunate mites, head back to the house, feed the snake, done. Besides, I get to do this with my best friend, Frank. Frank is my similarly black and white vehicle, and he's awesome. Okay, Frank and I drove from California to Florida together and many spots in between. We've been around. Who wouldn't want to hang out with Frank? The thing is, it's wintertime here in Florida land. This means I'm sharing the road with, ta-da, snowbirds. I'm not hating. I'm just saying it's a couple miles down one of the busier streets in Lakeland and there are challenges involved. But yeah, it's me, it's Frank, maybe a little rock and roll. What's the big deal? I'm going to pull up, park, jump out, buy the mice, jump back into Frank, bite my way back home. I can totally do this. So I pull up to the pet store, which is next to a Panera Bread. Okay. Now, it's one of the three days of the year in Florida where the temperature is below 70. Shocking. It's after the holidays. No one wants to cook. And the, the place is packed. I mean, everybody decided to eat at Panera today. Everyone has decided they need soup to fight this bitter 64-degree weather. (laughs) So I circled a lot looking for a space to pull off this very easy, simple transaction. But there's nothing. Every spot, including some that aren't really spots, every spot is full. I drive all the way around and I'm thinking I'm going to keep doing this for a while. And and just as as I think that, lo and behold, I see an opening. So me and Frank, we jam on over there. Careful not to run anyone over. They're sneaky in these snowbirds, okay? 
One minute, it's clear. The next, it's just blue hair and knuckles all over the windshield. So we make for the spot. I'm pulling in, already visualizing the pet store exchange, and then wham, brakes. Loud screech. Frank is pissed. Sitting at the back of the parking spot, deep in the cut, as it were, is a scooter. Like this tiny red scooter you could park in your back pocket. This is something, it's, it's not a real problem, okay? In terms of first world problems, it's really not that big of a deal. All right? I admit that. But it's, it's, an, it's just mildly annoying, you know? Somebody thinks this makes sense. It doesn't. Let's all move on. The problem is I can't because I'm still reeling, okay, from something that's happened just a couple days before. So remember that. Remember, I was already on tilt, okay? So this guy, I'm picturing him as, as, as a him in my head. This guy felt the need to park his goofy little Honda Spree or whatever, some kind of Vespa knockoff, in a parking spot for actual cars. No one is sitting outside or on any of the curbs or benches anywhere around. All the places that would seem better, more logical parking spots for what is essentially a bicycle are vacant. But whatever, he took a spot. He felt he needed it. Ah. My question is, why would you park that thing so deep in there where no one can see it from really any distance? Why? Well, and and here's where we derail a bit. Since I have this person already imagined in my head, an image just appears. Some highly sensitive young man standing just far enough away to not be noticed at first waiting to either rush over and scold me for almost running over his glorified skateboard or to witness the day my insurance bought him a new one. I picture the conversation where I say, oh man, I didn't even see it. I just thought it was, blah, you know, and then he cuts me off. This probably imaginary beehole. <laughs> you know, you need to slow down. Look where you're driving. I parked this in a designated motor vehicle spot. And of course, I'm already in full battle shake mode. He has no idea. And I reply, why the hell would you park that ridiculous big wheel in a parking spot for grownups? All of this flashes through my head in like eight seconds. Then I back up and just park next door. Frank and I accomplished our mission. Samantha ate. But I'm still reeling. Okay. Still on tilt. Now, why? What would put me there? Well, that's actually the meat of what I want to talk about today. So you may have heard about this movie. It's called Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Have you heard? You've heard of it. Yeah. You and quite possibly every person in the United States and anywhere else in the world where people spend money on movies. The biggest movie ever, obviously. But I'm going to guess that's not surprising to anyone listening to this. It is, however, important. An important aspect to the story I'm about to tell. A story I'm going to ask you to weigh in on because I need to know something, okay? We're going to get to the bottom of of this phenomenon I've stumbled across, and I believe it. Together, we're going to do this. Also, quickly, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to this stuff. And the off chance you don't trust, I won't spoil any part of this movie. Come on, man. Besides, you've probably already seen it twice. Moving on. Okay, so yeah, Star Wars. I mean... Biggest movie in the world. Duh. You're only going to see this movie opening weekend because you've been eagerly awaiting this movie's arrival for years. Maybe even decades, right? Isn't that a reasonable thing to ask? I think it is. So me, my buddies, Josh and Eric, we all go to see this thing at a Saturday matinee. Now, I was supposed to see this thing the night before with my wife and her sister and her sister's husband. But I got my days mixed up. So this Saturday afternoon session is my first time seeing this thing, which is actually kind of cool because when I was a kid, that's how I first saw Star Wars. You know, my old man took me to go see it on a Saturday matinee. So this is the thing. I knew this was going to be a madhouse. Okay. I was, I was prepared for this. It's a matinee. It's a family movie. There's going to be a lot of racket. I was ready, ready. But here's something you might not know. I am a magnet. Okay. I'm a magnet for wackiness. 
<laughs> Wackiness in these situations, and everyone who knows me knows this. So with this in mind, we all go to these things, you know, when we go and see these movies, we're prepared. We're prepared for some wild shit to go down because it always does when I'm there. The fellas and I are there on time. We get in, we find a seat. As we sit down, I sit next to a woman on her right. She has her daughter on her left. A couple seats down, saving the seats between the two of them, you know. And the guys, they're to my right. And then there's an older gentleman on his own sitting on the aisle to the right of us all. So now you're there with me. Please keep in mind, Star Wars, biggest movie in the world, lots of anticipation, opening weekend. When I see that I'm next to an adult, I think, cool, there's a parent nearby in case it gets the way it always gets. This certainly responsible lady will try to maintain reasonable levels of chaos. Nevertheless, I want to make it clear, I anticipate chaos, okay? Don't get that, don't miss that. But I, I had no idea. <laughs> you go in thinking something's going to happen and you're ready for that. And then it's just like, oh yeah, watch this. Oh, As the lights go down and the previews start, a man and a boy approach us and the woman gets up, moving over to the seat her daughter is in. Okay, Her daughter slides over one seat and then the man sits down next to the daughter And his little boy sits between him and me. Now, let's pause right there. Is it just me or is that weird? (laughs) Is that a little bizarre? Don't you kind of circle the wagons instinctively, you know? Dark room, strangers. Would you normally sit your son, maybe he's eight or nine, just, I'm just seeing him in my periphery, you know? This eight or nine-year-old kid, whatever. Are you going to sit him between you and a total stranger? I I don't know. It just seemed weird. It seemed weird. Normally, it's like the parents on the outside and the kids on the inside, right? Right? Whatever. So the movie starts. uh, Everyone is all about it. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. This was the single best behaved matinee I could have hoped for. Seriously, I'm not being facetious. Everyone, even all the little kids, was quiet and respectful. Totally. like They were there to see that movie. Imagine that. Did I say everyone? (laughs) Almost everyone. (laughs) Almost. As it turns out, the boy next to me, he had some challenges, okay? Look, this is actually hard to even talk about, so I just have to ask for my own sake and for the sake of concentration, please hear me out. We're maybe 10 minutes into the film and it becomes clear to me from what I'm seeing in my peripheral vision, because again, I'm watching a movie, but this kid next to me has challenges. That's it. Challenges. That's the word I'm going to use. He starts rocking back and forth really fast in his seat. And occasionally he reaches his hands up to the sides of his head. And while, while rocking back and forth, he's like, whipping his hands back and forth frantically through his hair like (laughs) okay like he's got a severe itch or like he's trying to tease up his hair i I don't know it's dark i'm i'm really trying to watch but (laughs) what's happening you know 15 minutes in i kind of have an idea i can't concentrate it's all this action next to me it's very startling you know but i can tell i can i can tell kind of what's going on Now, the theater is pretty much full with the exception of one chair, the one in front of the boy sitting next to me. So one minute, he's sitting there doing his thing, rocking back and forth, whipping his hair. The next thing, he lunges forward, like hops out of his seat, lunges forward, puts his hands on the back of the empty seat in front of him and then stares down into the empty seat. (laughs) Like a cat perched on the edge of something. It just shocked me. Like, you know, you would totally notice that. This happens a couple times. And uh, now there's no doubt about it. This kid has something clinical going on, okay? My first guess, probably yours as well, autism. Meanwhile, the mom, my former seatmate, might as well, she might as well be in a different theater, okay? She's so far away, three seats away, that she has no idea what's going on. The dad, 
again, sitting between the two kids. He occasionally reaches out and holds the boy's like leg still. You know, he'll whisper something in his ear, but then he just goes right back to watching a movie. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I can tell that the, the kid is, is having a tough time. You know, when, it, when every time the action picks up, he really seems to be distressed. Anyway, as I'm realizing all this, I'm completely, you know, forget the movie. Uh, I, I decide like, hey, man, I want to watch this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pull back. I'm just going to ignore it, you know? And literally just as I do that, just as I make that conscious choice, the dad hands his kid this bag. Now it's not, it's not a plastic bag. Like, you know, like you'd put a sandwich in, you know, it's not a plastic, it's not plastic, like soft plastic. It's like hard. It's like a Doritos bag level, noisy plastic bag. And the theater, as I said, is, is quiet. I mean, everyone is really wrapped up in this movie. So it's not like there's a bunch of racket going on to kind of mask the sound of this weird bag that this dad has just handed to his son. So the boy is, is reaching in and out of the bag. And at one point, I just looked, he's removing one chip at a time eating the chip and then reaching into the bag to pull out another. And this is over and over and over. Every once in a while, he'll do the frantic back and forth motion. It just, I mean, it was chaos. Not the kind of chaos I was pre- prepared for. And I just, I couldn't handle the bag, guys. <laughs> okay. The bag was my, was my straw and uh, for the proverbial camel's back. I couldn't do it. But, I chill. I think of my wife and what she would say. And I just calmly lean forward and quietly, careful not to sound mad or shitty. I ask, sir, sir, nothing, sir. What? What is it? What? I don't care that everyone knows we're talking now. I'm over it. (laughs) I tried to be quiet. I tried to be chill. Now he's like shouting. But I did stay nice. I said, sir, the bag, the bag, you know, the bag, (laughs) he's just, he's not responding. He's just staring at me. And I'm just like, how can you not? (laughs) The dad takes the bag out of the boy's hands, just snatches out of his hands. And he's grumbling and, you know, the dad from a Christmas story. And he's like, changes it out for something slightly quieter. I, I'm like, what the hell is with this dude? And so I just back off, lean back into my chair and just figure, all right, it's over. And then a kind of new noise starts. Every time it gets quiet, every time there's dialogue that's important, I hear this noise. It sounds like this. Don't get me wrong. I'm not making fun of the kid, okay? It's partially funny because I have to make that noise alone in my office and my dog is looking at me like I'm nuts. And I secretly am afraid my wife's going to walk in. But that's the sound, okay? It's a packed theater that is dead silent. There's drama happening and I hear... (laughs) So, the piggy noise. It's like this low grunting. It sounds almost like a cough, you know, but it's not a cough. It's it's definitely like a like a hog rooting. I'm not calling the kid a hog, okay? I love kids. But that's what it sounds like. And it happens every time the movie quiets down. Every time there's a part of drama, like you hear and dude, it's too much, okay? I have given it up. I'm not alone. Now listen, this part is important. I decide there's no way this is going to end well. Okay. So I suck it up. This is a major step for me. All right. This is major growth in my life. (laughs) Typically, I'm at least getting up in a huff, go to get the manager. Nope. Nope. I'm going to, I'm not going to stress out my buddies. 
you know, they seem to be enjoying the movie, even though they know I'm, I'm having a rough go of it. <laughs> okay. And, uh, look, I know the kid's got something he can't control. Uh, but every time he does the hair thing, I can't help but picture Ali Sheedy in the breakfast club. And I, I see in my head, like a small flurry of dandruff sort of landing gently on my sleeve. And I, the people who know, I mean, that's, that's tough, man. I don't know what to do with that. I'm super grossed out. And at, at points, the dad is reaching over and, and they talk in these hushed, angry tones. And the boy like jerks away from his hand. And one time he goes, you're choking me. I almost choked on my chip. You almost choked me. I, I don't even know what movie we're watching at this point. <laughs> And then things got weird. <laughs> okay, so if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say, spoiler free, the bridge scene begins, okay? Now, I can tell by the images on the screen and the expressions and the tone of voice that something epic is going down. It's quiet and there's actual acting going on but I have literally no idea how or why these characters are on the bridge. I'm so lost. I just sit there and, and try to enjoy the spectacle, you know? And then sure enough, during the bridge scene, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, E. Before I can say a word, Eric, also known as E, leans forward and says, hey, dad, can you, can you help us out? He's gentle. He's kind. He's polite. He's anything but rude or, or calloused. You know what I mean? He's just asking for a little help. The dad is so into the movie, he doesn't even hear him. So E has to repeat it. Dad? Dad? Can you help us out here? It's really hard to fall. And then dad flips out. Mom flips out. The dad's like, what? What do you want? He's autistic, okay? I'm doing the best I can. And the mom from across her daughter, three seats away, kind of whisper shouts, he's autistic. Have some compassion. My God. I'm going to speak to the manager about this after the movie. This is, this is ridiculous. It's like, a, <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, this is entertaining. <laughs> e, I feel terrible. I mean, he's like, please believe me. I, I am compassionate for you. And, and he can't even finish or cut off again. Something about compassion managers, whatever. It just, it was ugly and awkward and uncomfortable and mean, you know? So I'm, I'm pretty much done. At this point, I could be watching an Indiana Jones movie. The whole thing is just gone for me. I can feel, feel the gentle rage next to me. You know, the conflict in his head is, it's like freaking palpable. You know, I can feel him asking himself, should I have not said that? You know what I mean? Because the situation is so weird. All I can think is he was right. And this guy, this dad well, he's a dick. And you know what? I think I'm spot on about that. That boy may have autism, but these parents, they have severe behold disorder, okay? They put their child in a situation bound for failure. You know, after the movie, I go uh, to get our money back. I'm like talking to the manager. I'm like, dude, how could you not send the guy in to check and see if everybody's good? You know? No dude with the little flashlight walking around making sure everybody's quiet. It's just, you know. So I, we're getting our refund. And I see across the lobby that the, the, the guy is out there with his son. And they're playing a video game. And apparently, E and Josh saw them as well. And they tried to talk it out with them. So they walk to the dad. And they're like, hey, listen. And the dude literally turned his back on E and just wouldn't respond at all. So, are you with me? You there? You know where I'm at here? My question is complex, okay? The question I need you to answer. 
I'm not asking if we're bad or rude or asses or anything. Like I fully believe we were reasonable and gentle and practical. I mean, my question is, what the hell is that? What is that called? What is the term clinical or pop cultural for those parents? It's like a tough thing to put into words, you know? Go, go with me here. To knowingly place your child into a situation where others will be ignorant of his condition, okay? No one in that theater knows what's going on with this kid. And as I've discussed before, anyone who's there, I have to believe knows how intense this setting is. People have been waiting for this movie for years. And that doesn't mean anything in an eternal sense of the word, but it's just a practical observation. Everybody was waiting for this thing, right? So you present yourself, uh, you, you put your child into this scenario, right? Where, where, where no one else knows what's going on with them and, and you're just bound. You're just, you're just bound to get someone to say something. Someone is inevitably going to ask them to steal their child. But to present yourself after that happens as so surprised and so shocked and so offended, there's something wrong with that, right? You know, to turn it into some sort of suffering of their own and the suffering of the child, but but their own, you know? what What is that? It's like this, hair trigger victimhood thing. Now, it does no good to say, I wouldn't do this or that, or to ask, would you do this or that? None of those, none of those questions are relevant because we aren't those people, okay? And like I said, I have my own nostalgia for the film and the matinee showing. Maybe the dad had some himself. I mean, I remembered the buzz of seeing the movie everyone was talking about at school. Maybe the dad wanted his kid to experience that. You know, takes him to a matinee show, all the family's present and enjoying it together, right? I can see why you'd want to share that with your child, obviously. My question is, don't you think there might be a better way of doing that? Now, irrelevant to this discussion is whether or not the kid actually was enjoying it. You know, I submit that he was not. He seemed really distressed anytime the action picked up. It just really, really seemed to affect him. But I don't know him. So I don't know. Maybe that's just how he shows excitement. I have no idea. But what the discussion we're having here is, is everyone else in that theater paid their money, okay? They deserved my respect for their expense. You know? I don't believe these parents respected anyone else's expense at all. And I think they, they felt something was owed to them. Now, I know I'm making an assumption here. And that's probably a mistake. I'm just, I, I just don't, I can't see it any other way. And I want to know what the point was. What was the goal there? Was it really to bring your kids to a movie and enjoy it? Knowing full well the scenario you were dropping them into? Well, unless this was the first day they've ever spent with their kids, which I know it's not based off of what they said, I can't see how they would think that. I can't see how that would, that would be a reasonable expectation. So, whew, I'm tired now. <laughs> I, uh, I had to know. I've, I've experienced this times before. And, and, you know, with the thing with the scooter, like, I don't know, maybe I saw that in that light just because I was still buzzing from this thing, you know, I felt so bad for my guy. I mean, he, he didn't have a mean bone in his body. He don't have one. He was definitely not trying to be, you know, unreasonable or, or calloused to their situation. There was definite empathy on his part. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm past it now. I'm much better. Calm down a little bit. But this isn't the first time I've experienced something like this, you know. I, I, I think maybe you, you've experienced it too. That's my hope, to know that you have, I'm not alone in this. Where you, you're in this social 
setting. I don't know what the right word is. The social scenario where, you know, someone has information you don't have and they're going to punish you for not having it. <laughs> I, uh, I went to the social media thing. Cause what else, you know, what else are you going to do? What, what other, what problems haven't been solved by social media? <laughs> no, I asked, I asked on Twitter, you know, is anyone a psychologist? And, uh, of all the places represented by my Twitter feed, Chile came, came through for me. At Deanzo, that's D as in David, E-E-N-Z-O. He wrote me back and said, hey, I'm a psychologist, which to me, my response was a bonafide psychologist. A psychologist likes my jams. You know, we chatted back and forth on Twitter and I explained to him my question. I tried to put it as simply as I could. And <clears throat> this was the conversation that we had, or at least the relevant part. I said, hi, so I'm looking for a clinical term, a sort of specialized version of narcissism. This is my assumption where a person repeatedly puts themselves in a place to be offended in order to be able to respond with righteous indignation. What you got? Enzo's response was, and keep in mind this he's Chilean, so I'm sort of paraphrasing to smooth out the English thing. Uh, interesting and very specific question. Most probably you are describing one of the many behaviors of a narcissistic personality disorder. Of course, you can only use the clinical term personality disorder if the person's behavior happens very often in a very rigid pattern. In NPD, we find this interpersonally exploitative behavior, taking advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends, and that such individuals lack empathy and are unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings or needs of others. Just what you described. Now, if I had to look for a specific subtype of NPD based on the info you provide, someone who needs to put him or herself into the victim role only to prove him or herself to be superior, I would go with manipulative narcissists. These people enjoy putting something over on others, obtaining feelings of superiority by lying to and manipulating them. Wow. Okay. That was not the smoothest reading ever. Sorry. Sorry, Enzo, but thank you for writing. Thank you for responding, for helping. So my question is, what do you think? I think that's close. I think that's I mean, it's probably right on. I'm just not a scientist or a psychologist, but I feel like it's missing. It's missing the quasi martyrdom. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, there's something there that just gets me, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm such a narcissist that I'm just unsatisfied with that definition. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't appease my need to see these people pay. <laughs> I don't know. What I do know is, Enzo, you rule for writing in. Thank you very much for doing that. Appreciate that. Taking the time to look it up. That's pretty awesome. Um, so what do you think? I mean, you could feel free to send an email in what you would have done in that situation. That's fine. But, but what I want to know is, have you experienced the same thing? Have you run across the same thing? And don't you see how this very same behavior is permeating so many other aspects of our society, okay? And before you, before you say what is on your mind, think it through, because I know where some of you are going to go with that. And I'm not saying you're wrong. What I'm saying is, how has this permeated our entire society? Don't you see it all around us? This need to be a victim, this need to be hurt. I understand the frustration that people have when they incur that sort of behavior. But what do we do about it? What would you have said to those people in the lobby that would have helped them? I'm very curious to know. You can write me at the Twilight Zone at iNeverWas.com. That's the Twilight Zone at iNeverWas.com. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. And uh, speaking of emails, what do we have here? And now, for my special guests, you. 
Oh, yeah. This is the part I've been looking forward to. Okay. This is the reason the podcastrophe exists. Now, listen, there are a lot of these. I'm not going to read them all right now. Obviously, our show would be four hours long. Somebody has some catching up to do, but it will be done. Is being done starting right now. Okay. P.S. If you notice little 90s bits in here. 90s mentions here and there. There's a reason for that. Stay tuned till the end and you will receive secret knowledge to impress your friends. Now listen, I'm going to do my best to just read these straight through. Damn the torpedoes. Okay, so here we go. From Drew Mitchell, starting off with a recent one so you can kind of see how this will ideally work. This is in response to the Sin Disease show that we just put out. Mark, in this episode, like the story you told of I like the story you told of going to the Christian bookstore. I have a similar experience. I had a life-changing event at a Christian camp in 90 and wanted to pursue some music that was more in line with my newfound faith. I had no idea where to start, but the Sandy Patty and Michael W. Smith, my parents and church leaders were waving at the time, were not my bag at all. Uh, Drew, that makes at least two of us and probably way, way more. Okay, at the, at the bookstore, I found a crazy little comp called Hot Metal Summer 3. Starting out with a band that did a pretty good thrash version of King Diamond. <laughs> uh, do you mean that they're covering King Diamond or they sounded exactly like King Diamond? I don't know. I have an idea. My interest was piqued as I dug further in coming across some hits and several misses. Around track 12, there was a band playing something that was very different from the metal bands. And behold... Kill the Sarks and Glass God rise to the top as something very different. You spoke of the shift in the early 90s. For me, bands like Faith No More, Jane's Addiction, Nine Inch Nails, etc. were just doing something fresh and pushing the sonic envelope. It's not that I didn't like Metallica and Motley Crue, just was hungry for something new. Combined with my faith conversion, Scattered Few were one of those bands. I was at Cornerstone 91 that next summer and front and center for their, and yours by the way, uh, screw the guy, whoever, whoever he was that took your hat. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I was up front and center for yours and their set. There was a real magic to the performance. Uh, you both did. Well, thank you. And personally, as one of those sweaty faces in the crowd, I'd like to just say thank you to you and Alan for your passion and imperfect pursuit of Jesus. Hey, what you trying to say, man? It helped. Can't explain how it, how it did, but it did. As my story grows, uh, see that, Alan? See what I did there? As my story goes, after that, I went far, far into the world and away from the Christian music and even my faith until 2002. But I always kept a few Christian CDs that meant the most to me. And Sin Disease and Pillars were some of the survivors. Anyway, as an old radio guy, 12 years on as an on-air personality in major markets and first-time listener, I would like to say the show is top-notch. Keep doing what you love. And again, thank you. Well, thank you, Drew. Uh, I'm curious about a couple things here. Did you stay away from the faith? Where you at, Drew? Won't you let me know? And uh, that 90s time period, man, there was some really cool stuff happening at the beginning of that decade. So much change. It was like this changing of the guard. At some point, we are going to pay legit homage to that. Okay. Moving on from Chris Miller. Hey, Mark, I finally figured out how to operate the listening end of the podcast. Well, look at you. I listened to one and two. We are friends, quote unquote, on Facebook. We've met a few times. I worked Tom Fest a few times, camped next to Billy Power a time or two. Mikey and I are buddies. I sent you, that's Mikey Bridges, folks. I sent you and your guys Hot Rod Church for Sinners tease years ago. I wore a Stavesacre tee in a movie with your permission. Hot Rod Girls Save the World. If you haven't seen it, don't waste your time. So obviously we're all going to have to watch Hot Rod Girls Save the World. I have since found myself floundering in a chapter of this life. Maybe God is laughing. <laughs> wow. Well, you know what, man? I've thought the same thing. <laughs> Many irons in the fire, but none of the fires are flaring up as much as I would like. Damn straight, dude. That's everybody. That's everybody. I will spare you all the gory details, but tell you this. It is crazy how your music career has been a personal soundtrack to my life. 
Now, as you are podcasting, I listen to Bill tell the his story and listen to a bit of yours. It's nice to feel nice to not feel alone in my walk. Hey man, you are not alone. You are not alone. Currently, I have chosen to take a job delivering parts for Kenworth. I was a finished carpenter for 13 years, dabbled in some short films, and have been in two independent films. I also played Tom Fest with a band that I used to front, Matthew Prog Rock Metal Stuff. I just completed an academy for reserve police officers that took much of my life for eight months, made it to many, made it to many interviews, ran plenty of obstacles to make it into final picks, and then not chosen because there are 20-somethings with bachelor's degrees that are in the mix. <sighs> you know what? Podcastrophe. I'm leaving that in there. It's the way it is. I stopped it and now I'm starting it back up. That's how we do this. Uh, now I may have an opportunity to work for work in the TV industry on a project involving Bruce Campbell and his assistant, uh, who is my best bro. I bet I know what that is since this email is like five months old. All that's to say all kinds of stuff, but you wanted emails. So here you go. Yeah, I asked for this. <laughs> you wanted emails. So here you go, amigo. This life is crazy. I don't think I will ever really get it. Like Bill, I have written an autobiography. Any tips on some to someone to actually transcribe stuff I haven't written and publish such a thing? Until next time, keep up the good work. I know I now have hours to drive around and listen to podcasts. Cheers. Cheers to you, Chris. And by the way, I read your other emails. Uh, we will see if we can drop them in here at some other point. Um, in terms of tips for writing and stuff like that, I'm assuming you meant uh, transcribe stuff I have written and published such a thing. Man, I say publish it yourself first and shop that baby around. Start having some real conversations with people. Once they can legitimately say, yes, I would like to read your book, then you hand them your manuscript and it's, it's all legal and above board. Um, until then, they get real squirrely about that stuff. Um. As far as life being wacky and weird, I mean, first of all, dude, it sounds like you got a lot of stuff going on. And I, I know you're saying that none of the none of the the pots are really boiling just yet, but that's kind of I think that might just be the way it is now. We just throw everything out there and see what pops, you know? I mean, man, I was I was doing this and that and everything else and finally landed this TV gig. And, and I have no idea how that happened. And it definitely was not part of the plan, you know? So, I mean, it's all right to have the plans, but man, sometimes I think you just do whatever you want to do, love it and see what happens. You know, sounds like you were kind of paying the bills there for a minute and maybe still are with the Kenworth thing. That's always good. Because as I've said before, gives a nice little pressure release and you can really pursue the things that you love and not go into financial destitution. Is that a real word? Destitution? You know what I mean. Anyway, that's where I'm at. And thank you for the, thank you for the email, Chris. I appreciate it very much. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, from Josh Simons. Mark. Yeah, man. I am a wreck after that last interview with Peace. If you don't know what he's talking about, please go back into the uh, older episodes and check out the interview I did with Rene Vasquez, also known as Peace586. His, uh, his challenges with his wife, who has MS, are massive and humbling and awesome. Do not miss that. I am a wreck after that last interview with Peace. I'd love to hear you talk more about husbandry. Even for us with hope in the gospel, how do we keep finding hope to be leaders and lovers in our home when we suck so bad at it? I feel like I'm the worst thing that ever happened to my wife. How do we pick up the pieces and keep going, keep hugging, keep the proverbial foxes out of the vineyard? Thanks for being real with your own struggles. Christianity in the trenches seems uncommon today. Side note, quintessential 90s, the movie Clueless. Thanks for the show. Josh. Well, Josh, I wish I had all the answers, man. I have, uh, I got my own battles too. You know, I think the same answer applies to everything. Remain humble before your God. Seek his will. 
know his will, which is written in his word, and follow it. I mean, I, I did that. Uh, I did that podcast ellipse with uh, Mike Lewis and uh, Billy Power, and we we talked about that in the in the third installment of it. You can catch that on both of their shows. Uh, and it's, I think everybody, the common theme I feel that came through that and through all the emails that I get from people and the conversations that I have with with people on the show here is dying to yourself is the only answer. <laughs> you know, I hate to, I wish there was a better way, an easier way, but there isn't. If you, if we, and I do mean we, if we will set aside our own selfish desires, and I think you know what I mean. Where's your mind at? What are you, what are you fixating on? That's where you get into trouble, man. That's where the busy little beehive winds you up and leaves you all alone, dropping off a cliff. Don't fall for the okie doke. So guard your heart, guard your mind. Do what you know you're supposed to do and don't do what you know you're not supposed to do. Start there. See what happens. That's the best I got, brother. Now, sort of in the theme with uh, Josh's email is another one from uh, Paul Reith. I believe that's how you say his last name. R-E-I-T-H. Reith? Reith or Reith? You let me know. Um, I had to, just confession here, I had to re-record this. <laughs> and I'm glad I did because uh, I want to make sure to get it smooth. My dog jumped up on me while I was doing this. See, that's why we got to be able to at least go back sometimes, right? Okay, maybe other times. All right, Mr. Solomon, I just want to say first off that I've been a fan of yours and Staves Acres since the mid to late 90s and have only recently began experiencing your podcasts. The humanity and vulnerability of those you interview is such a blessing to listen to. And even though I don't recognize half of their names, I am at least vaguely familiar with their band or other association. <laughs> no offense taken, brother. <laughs> no, we know, we know. I am compelled to finally write after listening to your most recent episodes featuring Rene Vasquez. What a wonderfully honest and real conversation between two brothers about their fears, shortcomings, guilt, and hopes. This, real, this realism and honesty in relationships is one of the central focuses of my work with people. I am a marriage and family therapist, and the majority of my work centers on helping people connect to others. To be heard, seen, and understood by those close to themselves, and even by themselves, characterizes a lot of what I do. Whether in a relationship or not, everyone desires to be known, and your podcasts are fun are fantastic at allowing people to be real to that end. Thank you very much, man. That makes me feel like $1 million. One point of interest to me is the impression you have regarding the church's negative or limited view of counseling. While I have little experience with some of the more isolated or traditional congregations who might feel that way, I would like to assure you that from my perspective, this is not the case. I work for an organization that espouses biblical applied counseling, and we work in conjunction with many churches throughout Southern California. Unfortunately, and even more to your point, pastors are often woefully unequipped to handle the depths of pain, loss, hurt, or other factors due to their focus on teaching the word or running the church. This is not to say that an empathetic and listening ear or a biblical word won't go a long way for someone, but after the pain one experiences is something that's been percolating their but often, sorry, but often the pain one experiences is something that's been percolating their whole life and just requires more interaction. To this point, I have recently come across an analogy and really spoke to me about how we were created, what we do, who we are, and how I can help them. And I would like to share it with you now. Imagine the psyche as a plate. Everyone has one, and at some point it will be broken. Damn. Everyone's plate will be shattered. Some people can put their plates back together on their own or with little help. Others were modeled how to do this from healthier parents. 
but sometimes people need help putting their plates back together. Either they don't know how or can't because it's just too destroyed. Either way, people bring the shards to people like me to help them piece it back together. I help people line up the pieces to fix them back together or to help them figure out why some pieces don't fit where they think they ought to. But the plate will never be wholly fixed, not until we get to heaven and God does it for us. He is the only one able to fix it and clean it and get it ready for dinner. To that end is where my hope rests, especially when I am faced with so much hurt and brokenness and despair. It is God on whom I rely to renew and clean my clients, as I am just here trying to love and help others. Anyways, thanks for listening and reading. God bless and take care. Well, I think that's lovely. <laughs> my plate is is fairly shattered, you know. But I do have I have parents who helped me, you know, and who who put me on the right path. And I have a wife who does a lot of plate repair as well. But I I get it, man. I think my main thing is just the stigma that holds us back from from pursuing the help we might need. That was why the episode with Chris Bowden, the episode with Jim Chaffin, you know, those are those were important things for me. I feel like they they communicated something that was a little taboo to be talked about. And uh just cuz we talked about them one time doesn't mean they're done being talked about, okay? So, I appreciate you weighing in, Paul, and I and I think, you know, I would just r- encourage anyone if you need some help, if you need someone to help you kind of figure it out, get the help. Don't be afraid. You are not alone. I mean, these emails, I feel like they communicate that. You are not alone. I am not alone. We are not alone. We have a we. We can go to each other. Be it a counselor or a friend, someone you trust, whatever. Get the help you need. Maybe even if you're not sure you need it, you know? Look, I think that's going to do it for the letters. I think that's going to do it for the letters this week. Just know that I know if you wrote in and I didn't see it, I, I am aware and I will get to it. I will make sure that uh, that you are heard and that you are part of this. Uh, to the to the '90s comment that I made early on, you know, I asked a few episodes back, "What what is your quintessential '90s example?" You know, and I was looking for TV shows, music, an album, maybe in, in particular, or a show that you saw, a festival, whatever, um, films, books, whatever, anything that says the '90s to you. So, for for anyone who's writing in, if you wanna if you wanna kind of be part of the part of an elite group (laughs) of people who pine for a decade that is long gone. I would just say, you know, send me your letter. And if, if you think of something that just says the nineties to you, you don't have to write a whole big piece about it. Just drop it in there. I like hearing about it. Is that weird? I don't think so. Um, And I also want to say one last thing before we uh, wrap this up this week to Sid Dufour from the band Head Noise. Your letter was so timely, man. <laughs> I know you wrote it months ago and I just got it, but it hit home. As some of you may know, I uh, was recently on a podcast doing a debate, which is really not a great plan for me. And uh, you know, I think in the, in the first part, I, I did all right. But if, if, if we were just scoring the debate as a debate would be scored in part two, I got destroyed. And, uh, you know, I'm fine, <laughs> but it was very, uh, it was very timely to read that message just now. I don't know that I call proof of God's existence. How about that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are now all fellow podcastrophe survivors. (laughs) 
I hope that worked out. I, I hope it worked out all right because this is uh, definitely a more manageable format for me for now. Uh, you know, if you want to make sure that I don't struggle too bad and I don't flounder through a whole show, keep writing. Your letters really are the thing that drive me. I don't, I don't do this just to, to talk and hear myself, you know? I want to set some conversation topics on the table and see what you guys come up with. Anything you've heard, anything at all, I think we have found a way to include your reaction on the show, and I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you continue to enjoy it. So please, if you will, write me at thetwilightzone at ineverwas.com. That's thetwilightzone at ineverwas.com. Shoot me an email. Try and keep it as short as you can. Do your best. You know, what can you do? And uh, be part of the show. And and rest assured, I have plenty of guests coming. I've got four interviews in in the shoot ready to be edited. Some of them are, are just a little more challenging than others. <laughs> and some of them just got swept under the rug with the time. You know, Ricky Michelle is coming up. Randy Torres is coming up from Project 86. And the mystery band du jour. Anyway, uh, yeah, more to come. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the show. And uh, welcome to, to season two. This show was produced by Billy Power of Urban Achiever Podcast and Urban Achiever Show. Uh, by the way, anyone anywhere near Costa Rica, The Crucified is doing a reunion show in the middle of February in uh, Costa Rica. You can go check out the site on Facebook for more details. Uh, Until then, God bless, be good, rainbow out.